Thank you, Sam. And hello. You can all sit down. That's really kind of you to stand. You know, after an introduction like that, I'm really looking forward to what I've got to share. It really is wonderful and lovely to be here with you guys. I just want to say thanks for having me over. I really appreciate that. As Sam mentioned, my name is Richard. I head up an organization called Strength to Strength, which in many ways, the, the face of who we are is we are a counseling and a training organization. But the heartbeat behind who we are and what we do is we want to see people set free. We want to see people living the abundant life. We want to see people move into this freedom that, that God has called them into. We want to see chains broken and lives transformed. I mean, that's the heartbeat behind what we do. And so, so I lead a team of people. We counsel, we coach, we supervise, we train. We do all of those things because we want to see people break through and break free into all that God has for them. I even... oh. Thank you very much at the back. I see that. He's lovely. That's wonderful. I'm feeling the love already. But you see, part of this, this is my ministry. This is my passion, my calling that God sort of put on my heart. And he messes with me in this way. Because what, what I long to see, what, what my hope is, is to see all of God's people become completely dissatisfied with anything less than freedom, complete freedom in Him. That's what I'm after. That's what I want to see. We settle so often. We, we, we limit ourselves in what God wants to do so often, but He wants so much more for us. So in many ways, that's really what I want to talk to you today about. I, I just want to share something of, of what it might look like to move into this place, move into this freedom that God has for us. Does that sound okay? You are a lovely, responsive crowd. There are some places I preach and it's just dead silence, but you guys are professionals at this. Thanks so much. You see, I want to start by, by sharing something with you that, that may come as a surprise to many of you. In fact, it may come as a shock to a number of you. But you see, I have not always been the paragon of mental and emotional health that you see before you. No, no, it's true. You see, I'm a white middle-class guy, and when I came to faith as a 16-year-old boy down in Christchurch, I became a white middle-class Christian guy. So it goes without saying, I had no problems. And I belonged to a white middle-class church, and we all got together, and we were in agreement that we had no problems. You know, not really. I mean, problems are what other people have. Problems are, are the people that, that we minister to, but, but not us. Sure, we're not perfect, but, but we're not in that camp of problems. So you can imagine that when the spotlight of mental and emotional health did a reality check in my life, yeah, I was in for a bit of a rude awakening. Well, when I realized I couldn't blame other people for how I was feeling, <laughs> yeah, that wasn't a happy time. When I realized that the things that I was struggling with in my life wasn't so much about what was occurring outside of me, it had more to do with what was occurring inside of me. <laughs> yeah, fun times, really. And what I realized was it wasn't that I, it just that I wasn't perfect or a little less than perfect. 
It's that, in fact, I had very sophisticated coping mechanisms to present myself as having no cracks, so as to fool other people, but also to fool myself. And, you know, when I looked at all this stuff, when I started to, to realize about my own issues, my own anxiety, my depression, my, my thin skin, all the different things that were going on in my life, and I stood back and I had a look at it, I thought, you know what? This isn't hard to see in you, Richard. So why haven't you noticed this before? And I felt like God say to me, well, Richard, if you are an addict in a world of addicts, how do you know you've got a problem? You with me? And so in this, I also had to ask, Lord, you know, I've come to faith. Why haven't you fully transformed me? Why haven't I been fully changed in all of this? Now, now don't get me wrong. When I came to faith, things changed. Things happened. I mean, I had struggled with depression on and off for about the first 16 years of my life. And when I came to faith, the depression began to lift. But... I still had some pretty serious bouts of depression. You know, it, it almost felt like I remember when I came to faith, it was like the Holy Spirit was taking me on a tour of my life. You know, if you imagine my, my being, my life is like an apartment block. You know, season by season, he would come to one of the doors and open it up and say, Richard, shall we deal with what's in this door? To which I would say to him, Let's not. <laughs> and so we would go through that, and things would change, and things would shift, but, but not to the degree that I really longed for. And, and what I would notice is that I was still frustrated with just how thin-skinned I was. I was frustrated with, with how easy it was to offend me or hurt me. And when I discovered, when I learned that, that the speed at which you take offense is a great indicator of how mentally and emotionally unhealthy you are. <laughs> the joy just kept on coming. And you know, as I was struggling with all this, there came a time when I looked up and I looked around me and I realized it's not just me. I looked around and I saw that there were so many other people struggling with so many other issues. That there were, what I saw was about the church that, that longed to love each other. They just didn't like one another. I, I saw churches that were struggling to resolve conflict well. Now, to be fair, we all know how to resolve conflict badly, don't we? And we can do that on a regular basis. But to resolve it well, well, that's, that's a whole other kettle of fish. And you know what I saw was I saw people who loved the Lord with all their heart, but they're up to their eyeballs and debt. Uh -huh. I saw people who were great prayer warriors, but who were harboring bitterness and wounds from the past. Wow. I saw people who loved to come and lose themselves in worship on Sunday and then just go home and repeatedly yell at their kids. Yeah. I saw people who, who, who have been serving the Lord faithfully for years, but were struggling and caught up with their different habits and addictions. They were still caught up in their pornography. They're still caught up in their comfort eating. I saw people who, who had been worshiping God, loving God, reading their word, but were still overwhelmed with different moods and emotions, whether it be anxiety or depression or anger. 
I saw people who, who were, were serving, but, but, but going to self-harm and cutting. I saw people who were in positions of leadership, who were affirmed and who were loved, who were carrying suicidal ideation, and, and no one else knew. And when you look at all this, you've got to ask, why? Why is this still happening? And you know, one of the things that I realized is that at times, we've forgotten where real transformation comes from. You know, Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth is going to set you free. Now, you know, what's interesting about that, he didn't say that prayer ministry would set you free. And I love prayer ministry. I love seeing people encounter the presence of God and be changed in his presence. Nor did he say that a tithing campaign would set you free, which I don't love as much. (laughs) And to be fair, nor did he say counseling would set you free. What he said was truth would set you free. So wherever you find truth, if it is truth, wherever it is, there is freedom that comes. And this is why... Paul tells us that, you know, if we're going to experience the transformation that we long for, he says you first of all got to be renewed in your mind. That what goes on between your ears is of critical importance. What you're believing in your heart matters. You know, I remember when I was counseling in my early days, one of my clients who came to see me was a woman who was at the end of her third marriage. And as we explored that, you know, how did you get to this place? What was going on? What I discovered was that, you know, with each of these men, she would be praying, Lord, is he the one? Give me a sign. And God seemingly gave her a sign. That's what she understood. And so she went off and married him. But she never stopped to ask, do I like him? Do we get on? Can we resolve conflict? Because she said to me, you know, if she was ever to do what we'd call due diligence on this bloke, she said that felt like I was just leaning on my own understanding. And then if I had got it wrong, well, then it's all on me. And the shame and the condemnation would have crushed me. But at least in this, I can say, Lord, I was trying to do what you wanted. And when she looked in the rearview mirror of her life, she saw the carnage behind her and the carnage in her own life. Now, please don't get me wrong. I love hearing from the Lord, and I'm hoping you're going to be asking him about anything and everything. But it's never meant to be at the expense of the removal of your mind. So what goes on between our ears is of critical importance, people. And you see, in this, what I, what I also find is there's this seemingly innocent little verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7, 17. But to be fair, all verses seem innocent, don't they, and harmless until you plunge the depth of them and you discover what God's telling you in that. But in 2 Corinthians three seventeen, it says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is... Liberty or freedom, depending on your translation, whether it's orthodox or other. (laughs) You see, in that, what's also interesting is that when you scan your life, wherever you are not experiencing freedom, guess what? 
The Spirit of the Lord isn't present there, not to the degree that he wants to be. Why is that? Because he is the spirit of truth. And when we are unwittingly, unconsciously holding on to a lie or a belief, we quench the work of the spirit at that point. So I'll see people who are struggling in all manner of issues, all manner of situations, their moods, their emotions, their habits, and they're crying out, Lord, deliver me, take this from me. And it's like he's on the other side of a locked door longing to come in. But what we don't realize is that we're the one who holds the key. But we haven't taken time to work out what's going on in me, what's quenching his spirit, what's blocking him at this place. And when we encounter his truth that sets us free, it's like we unlock the door and the transformative power of his spirit can flood back into our life. You see, my friends, when you are holding on to a belief like you are a disappointment to God, well, then it doesn't matter how many times you hear about the grace and the love of God. It's just going to wash off you. If you're holding on to a belief, a lie that says that you are only as good as the performance that you're doing, as how much you've attained or achieved, well, then you are at the mercy of your performance, and you're probably losing yourself in the work. Maybe you'll even sanctify it and say it's for the Lord, but you're pursuing a different master and you're being mastered by it. If you have this belief, this sense that I can only like me, I can only feel good in myself, if you approve of me, if you like me, well then at that point, I've got to please you. I've got to present a face to you so that you might keep liking me. And we keep running and we keep pretending. You see, my friends, when we hold on to a lie, we quench the work of the Spirit. When we encounter His truth, we open the door to the Spirit of truth. When we hold on to a lie, it is no coincidence that our enemy is known as the father of lies, and he comes to rob, kill, and destroy And so what goes on between our ears, what we are believing in this area of our mental, emotional health is critically important here. See, if I was to pause you now, and just where you are, get you to do a reality check in your life. As you scan through the different areas of your life, let me ask you, where are you not experiencing freedom? in your emotions, overwhelmed by different moods of anxiety, worry, anger, depression, in your habits, your comfort eating, your pornography, in your drinking habits, in your sexuality, in your finances, in your experience of God's grace in your life. You see, wherever you're not experiencing freedom, if we were to take that place and peel back the layers, what we would find, among other things, is a deep belief that you are unconsciously or perhaps consciously holding on to that's quenching the work of the Spirit that needs to discover truth in that place. 
to unlock the door. You see, my friends, what goes on in our ears is so critically important that we need to take this area that we have called the mental and emotional health area and we need to bring it back and reconnect it into our spirituality, our discipleship and all that we are about. Because what I'll find is that often in many churches, we will sort of separate these two out as if we've got one world over here of the mental and emotional world. This world that we give over to psychologists and psychotherapists and counselors. And we've got this other world over here of the spiritual as if they're somehow mutually exclusive. And so we'll try to answer everything from the spiritual side that's, that's separated from the mental and emotional side. And when we can't answer everything, when people are still overwhelmed by their moods, their emotions, they're still caught up in their habits, their marriage is still breaking down, well then we'll jettison them up over to this other area and sort of let them be dealt with over there. And to be fair, we'll we'll look with a lot of suspicion as to what might be going on over in this world. And to be fair, we can understand why, because there's been some pretty wacky things said by some pretty wacky people. But you see, when we separate them out, we do so to our detriment. The, The scriptures tell us these two are inextricably connected. When we separate them out, we believe that somehow we're either mentally unwell or we're mentally and emotionally well, as if it's one or the other. Friends, it's a continuum. You're all on the spectrum somewhere. We just need to own where that is. Because when we think it's an either or, we pretend that we're in the healthy category. And at that point, we give access to the enemy to continue to rob, steal, and joy, uh, and remove our joy. And so at that point, we don't live the life that he's called us to. We need to bring these two back together. You know, we see this beautiful. I thought... I thought that was a dramatic point too. I think we just need to take a moment and let it sink in. You see, one of the the areas, one of the scriptures that also powerfully tells us about the spiritual and the mental and emotional coming together is in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. And what it says there is, you know, that the weapons that we fight with are not of this world. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, if we pause there in the passage, the word stronghold carries a spiritual sense. It's a spiritual understanding around what is holding fast within a person. And yet what's also interesting, if you look at the word in the Greek, It can also be translated house of thoughts. So what's making this the stronghold within us? It's a mentality, it's a mindset, it's a belief system to which the enemy has access into your life. And see, you understand it as you carry on in the passage where it says, and what do we do with these weapons? We demolish every argument, every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. 
We demolish every argument, every pretense, every logic, every rationale, every belief that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, against the knowledge of of who our God is, against the knowledge of who our God says you are, and against the knowledge of what our God says is true. And what we do is we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. We make it obedient to the one who is the truth. We take captive every thought, every deep belief, and we make it obedient to the one who is the truth. So my friends, when we, when we grab this area of the mental and emotional health and we reconnect it into our spirit, we begin to break down strongholds. We see ourselves transformed as our mind is transformed and renewed in him and his truth. And we encounter truth that actually sets us free. And you see, the truth wherever you find it, however you find it, if it is truth, sets us free. And sometimes we can find truth in a variety of different areas, some that are more obvious than others. But the key is, does his freedom come? Can his spirit move with that truth? See, I remember when um, I was 19 years old and I was overwhelmed with depression. And I sat with a trusted person. And through our conversation, by the end of it, I was getting nowhere with him. And then he said this one thing. He said, well, it reminds me of what Paul once wrote. He said, I am the worst of sinners, but by the grace of God, I am who I am. And there was something in that truth for me that just unlocked the door and my depression began to lift. As I started to realize it was never meant to be about my goodness or or how faithful I was. It was about my faith in him and what he had done for me. As I've journeyed with people who have been dismissing uh, their sense of worthiness in him, that they felt quite low, quite little, like nothing, like Satan is just holding them down. And that you know these sorts of people because when you give them a compliment, when you affirm them, when you praise them, what do they say? Oh, no, no, it was nothing. Oh, no, no, it wasn't me. Oh, no, 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 it's a team effort. Oh, no, no, all glory to God. Do you know anyone like this? And so as a result, they're starving themselves of the very nutrients their soul needs that God has put all around their life. And so I would, might say something like this with them. I say, tell me, have you ever yourself given a compliment or an affirmation or praise to someone and had them deflect it and shut it down? And they went, yeah, 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 no, that's happened in my life. I said, what's that like? They said, oh, no, I don't like that. That doesn't feel good. I said, yeah, that's right. But I said, when they then accept it, when they accept your compliment, your praise, your affirmation, I said, what does that feel like? Oh, they said, oh, well, that feels good. That feels wonderful inside. I said, that's right. Because when they accept your affirmation and your praise, it's actually a gift to you. I said, did you ever, did it ever occur to you that when you, if you were to receive their praise, their blessings inside, that that would be a gift to them? And when they thought about that, they said, I'd never looked at it that way before. When I think about it that way, 
maybe it's actually okay to receive. And something begins to shift. With my Māori clients, I might say, you know, when people are giving you praise and they're they're giving you affirmation and they're complimenting you, I said it's a gift from their heart to yours. In one sense, it's like putting a koha at your feet. And they went, wow, I never thought about it like that. I said, tell me, what do you want to do with this koha? Do you want to pick it up or do you want to dismiss it and flick it off? And they go, no. When I look at it like that, I want to pick it up. I want to cherish it. I want to take that. And I said, does that feel like that's something you can do? Yeah, yeah. And I say, and when you think about all the compliments and affirmation and praise that people have given you over the years, like koha at your feet, what do you notice? And they'll say, I'm a very wealthy person. That's right. And that's who you are in him. And when I've had people who have been wrestling and struggling and overcoming uh, the effects of sexual abuse, I mean, among many other things and many other conversations we have, they might say something to me like, you know, I just feel so overwhelmed with the sense of defilement and dirtiness and shame. And I'll say to them, you know, those feelings that you're feeling of defilement, dirtiness, shame, I say, those are appropriate feelings for what took place. But they're appropriate feelings for the perpetrator, not for you. You've been reading someone else's mail. It's time to hand it back. Because those feelings and those thoughts actually never were for you or about you. It's time to hand it back. One thing I might say to them is, do you realize that you were just as sexually pure after the abuse as you were before it? And they'll say, but how could that be? I said, because this was something that happened to you. It was not something that happened with you. So who you are inside, what the the purity level, the level of where your sexuality was at is just the same after as it was before, because this happened to you, not with you. And you know, as they start to encounter some truth, as they start to look at things differently, I can see God's spirit into their life and freedom starts to come as things begin to unlock. So my friends, let's not dismiss this area. Let's not pretend. Because this isn't an area of whether you're mentally healthy or you're mentally unwell. This is a discipleship area as to whether you are moving into greater freedom and transformation in Him or whether you are prepared and just to stay in the pretense of being perfect and have the enemy hold you down. The choice is yours. So let us bring together this area of the mind and the emotion, connect it with our spirit and with his word and with his spirit, and let's see the change come. Are you with me? So my friends, where you are right now, I just want to pray for you. Is that okay? Yeah, you've got no choice because I'm going to do it anyway. I just thought I'd ask. But let's pray. And where you are right now, in fact, what I want you to do, I just want you to center yourself on the Lord. I just want you to get honest with Him. Holy Spirit, come and move amongst your people. My friends, as you lower your walls and your defenses to Him, what area is He putting His finger on? 
What area is he highlighting? And whatever area you're noticing, I want you to take that seriously. I want you to start by asking, Lord, what do you want me to see here? I want you to ask, Lord, what do you want me to understand here? Thank you, Lord. As we move into a place of honesty, it's a place we encounter God's spirit because the Bible says God is light and in him there is no darkness. There's no darkness, there's no pretense, there's no faking. His presence is the most honest place to be. And when we step into honesty, he meets us there with his grace and his love and his power and his truth. Holy Spirit, as you come upon your people, as you move into the different areas of their life, Lord, I ask that you would reveal where lies have got caught. And Lord, you would reveal your truth that really will set them free in you. Father, would we see strongholds broken apart in your name? Lord, would we see people's lives transformed in your name? And Lord, would we be able to hunger for your truth more and more, that we wouldn't be like those in John 3 that prefer their darkness. We want to prefer your light, being exposed in your presence, honest, willing to grow in you. So, Lord, continue to strengthen your people. Let them grow stronger in you. Let them become a greater force in your name. Let them become a greater people who carry your presence and your love. Lord, let them become a more effective and efficient body that you can use. Would they become a more responsive body as your spirit directs in your name and for your purpose? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.